All of our lives are shaped by stories. Our sense of identity, our values, our outlook on life and the world, our sense of calling and destiny are shaped by stories. We don't want to see our lives as just a series of random events as we walk our way through the day. We're looking for a storyline. And so our lives are shaped by the stories that we read and hear and tell and live. When I was a kid, one of the first real books I read was a biography of George Washington. And I was so inspired by his honesty and his courage and his leadership that, that I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be honest and brave and a leader. And it, his story began shaping me from a very young age and has to this day, actually. We're shaped by stories that we read, but we're also shaped by stories that we're told. Let's say that your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents were immigrants. They arrived here in this country with nothing in their pocket but a dream. But through hard work and perseverance and, and loyalty to their family, they fashioned a life for themselves. They built a home, built a business, built a reputation for themselves and those they love and for the generations who would follow. You hear that story in your house enough times and it will shape you. You'll want to be worthy of their sacrifice. You'll want to follow their example and work hard and persevere and build a life for the ones you love and those who follow after. We're shaped by stories that we read, stories that we hear. We're also shaped by stories that we live. If you grew up as a Red Sox fan in the 20th century, Yours was a story of disappointment and frustration, right? I mean, 86 years without a championship. The storyline was Bill Buckner kicking the ball. It was wait till next year. It was, uh, you know, reverse the curse. That's what you grew up with. If you grew up as a Red Sox fan in the 21st century, much as it hurts me to say it, you've lived a very different story. Greatest comeback in World Series history. Kurt Schilling's bloody sock. Ten, three championships in ten years. Curse, what curse? Kids today in Boston, they don't know what you're talking about if you talk about reverse the curse. They don't want to wait till next year. They want it this year and every year. Entirely different story. We had a block party yesterday in our neighborhood. I got talking to a woman who lives nearby. She's about my age, and um, she knows my Yankee fandom. And so she was needling me about the way the Red Sox were beating up on the Yankees this weekend and rubbing it in. But then she said, but you know, I can never really relax. <laughs> because she grew up with a different storyline in the 20th century. Stories shape our value, our identity, our expectations, our outlook on life, our sense of destiny. They shape us. And when I say that, I'm not just speaking metaphorically. I mean stories literally, actually shape our brains, neurologists tell us. As we turn the pages of a book to find out what happens next, Neural pathways are being formed in our brain. Synapses are being created that lead to intuition and expectation and, and who we are as a person. So what story or stories have shaped your life? It's a pretty important question because we're going to discover this morning that the story we most love to hear and tell may determine whether or not we thrive. 
Now, Thrive is the name of our fall teaching series as we kick off our new church year together. We're working our way through the New Testament book of Colossians. And our goal here is discover what, it, what does it mean to live a full life, to flourish as a human being, as a follower of Christ, as a church. We want to flourish. We want to thrive. Our, our vision for the year is that we'll go deeper this year. And the little, the little catchphrase we're using is that this year we will be rooted, growing, and bearing fruit. In the same way that a tree sinks its roots down deep into the soil, drawing nutrients that, uh, that nourish it so that it can grow and spread its branches and bear fruit, we want to sink our roots deep into the knowledge of God. We learned last week to be grounded in the knowledge of God. We thrive when we do that. And so we've committed ourselves this year to do growth in, in our knowledge of the Scripture in particular. That's the practice of weekly worship and of engaging the Scripture. At, at home on our, on our own, but the many ways we have to offer here at Grace, whether it's an adult course or a life community or a men's or women's study, whatever it might be. And so our first condition of thriving as human beings, as Christians, as a church, is to be grounded in the knowledge of God. The second condition that allows us to thrive, we're going to discover this morning, is that our lives in church thrive when we are shaped by the gospel when we are shaped by the gospel. That's the big idea. I'm giving it to you right up front, and we're going to talk about it as we make our way through. So let's listen to some of Paul's words in his uh, letter to the Colossians. I'll be reading verses 21 through 23. He writes, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have now become a servant. Now, we'll come back to some of those lines in a few minutes, but for now, I want to call your attention to that particular word, gospel. It's a word he uses twice in these opening verses. He also uses it back in the previous section, the section we looked at last week, where twice we read the true message of the gospel that has come to you, and then the gospel that is bearing fruit and growing. Remember, Paul is writing a letter to a church in the city of Colossae, a church and a group of people he's never met. He's heard reports about this church, reports that both encourage him and concern him. He's encouraged by signs of life and vitality in this church, but he's concerned. This church is in danger of turning inward, of losing sight of their essential message, the message that changed their lives and the message that gave birth to their church. And so in these opening lines of the letter, he calls these believers to put their roots down deep in the knowledge of God, and in particular, to pay attention to the gospel. Four times he mentions the gospel. Now, the gospel simply is the good news. It's the essential message of the Christian faith about Jesus Christ. Now, there's much more to the Christian faith than the gospel. The Bible's filled with knowledge of God. The world is full of knowledge of God. But the core message, the gateway message, the key that unlocks the knowledge of God is the gospel message itself. 
the gospel is to the Christian faith like the Declaration of Independence is to the United States. There's a lot to know about the United States of America. But if you don't get the Declaration of Independence, if you don't hear the, the independent, revolutionary spirit of that document, then, then you really don't understand the United States of America. And so it is with the gospel. It's the core essential message of our faith. And so as important as it is that we're grounded in the knowledge of God, we also need to be shaped by this gospel. So that's what I'd like to present to you this morning, the gospel. Now at that block party I mentioned yesterday, I got into a conversation with another one of our neighbors, someone I've known really since we moved in quite a few years ago. He knows I'm a pastor. He describes himself as a, as a spiritual person but not a Christian. But we often talk about church and faith and things like that. So he was asking me some questions and somewhere along the way I mentioned the word gospel. And he said, there you go again. <laughs> you use these words, gospel. What the heck does that mean anyway? He was a little more colorful in his language than that, but that was the gist of it. So, with my neighbor in mind and all of us in mind, I'd like to present that gospel in a way I think everybody can understand. A particular version of the gospel that is known as the big story. Now, the big story is simply a contemporary version of the basic gospel message that was conceived by an intervarsity worker, a campus worker named James Chung. And he designed this presentation in particular for university students, for young men and women in the 21st century. Turns out to be a very fresh, relevant way of presenting the gospel message to just about anybody. Now he designed it so this story could be drawn on a napkin in a restaurant or the back of an envelope at your desk at work to try to keep it simple. So I'm actually going to try to recreate that for you right here on this flip chart. If you have a pen and paper with you, you might want to grab it out and just practice telling this story and drawing this simple picture. I'd like to say take out your smartphone and draw the story, but if you have a Samsung Galaxy, please keep it in your thing. We don't need any explosions here today, okay? Now it turns out there is actually an app for the big story. You can find it at the App Store. And it also turns out that our students are way ahead of us on this. All the students who went on CCLE trips this summer, mission trips, they all learned the big story. So we need to catch up with them. So the big story begins with the world. The world the Bible tells us God made, a world that was good from the beginning, a world that was designed with a sense of beauty and order and purpose and life. And God put people in this world, human beings made in his image, so that they could enjoy the world and help take care of that world in partnership with him. And the idea was that this world, beginning with these, this human community, that this world would flourish. Remember, God said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So we really were made to thrive. And so the world was good. Human beings took care of each other. We took care of the planet that God gave to us, so it was fruitful. And the whole thing really radiated to the glory of the God who made it all, as, it refle as we reflected his beauty and his goodness and his fullness. And so we can begin the story by saying, the world and we are designed for good. Designed for good. Made to thrive. Now, Paul 
reinforces this message in the, the story that we're reading here from uh, Colossians chapter 1. Let me read a few of his verses. He says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. Paul's painting a picture here of a world, the universe that's good, that's whole, that works, that's full of beauty and life and goodness. And so the story begins with the world and humanity being designed for good. But anyone who, who looks at this world, I'm going to flip the page here, anybody who looks at this world will have to acknowledge that the world doesn't look so good right now. That the world, in fact, is full of awful things. War and famine and poverty and racism and crime and violence and addiction and, and all kinds of disappointments. The human community has been affected by all these evils in the world. It's actually created a division between us as, as human beings, one from another. We're estranged from each other. Our greed and pride and lust and anger and laziness and all these things ruin our relationships. Human beings have turned inward, paying attention to their own needs and their own interests instead of paying attention to others and to the world and to the God who made them. And so what's happened is the world has been damaged by evil damaged by evil. And Paul underlines that truth. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That word alienated simply means estranged from, distant from. Now, for some people, that's actually a hostile relationship. People have rejected God, want nothing to do with God. Others simply have ignored God and paid no attention to him along the way. We've done things to serve our own needs. We've done it in our own way and ignored God and ignored others. So we have been damaged by evil, and we have damaged others in the world by our evil. Now, let's pause for a minute. At this point, someone might well say, well, I'll buy this. I mean, when I look at the world, it's obvious. Th things are messed up. I don't like the way the, world did, the way the world is. But I'm not prepared to buy this. I mean, who says the world was made for good? Who says there was a God? The Bible may say it, but what if I don't accept the Bible? It's a fair objection. Who says this is true? But it raises another question. If this is not true, then why are we bothered by this? Why are we bothered by pain and suffering and evil in the world? Why do we long for a better world? Why do we long for peace and justice? Everything else we long for really exists. We, we long for food, and food exists. We long for beauty, and beauty can be found. We long for love, and love can be experienced. So why would we long for a better world if a better world never existed? Doesn't our longing for a better world suggest that we were made for a better world? Or that the world once was better and we are missing it? So for now, whether you accept this or not, that's up to you, but I think we'd all agree the world as we know it has been damaged by evil. The story continues. God still 
loved this world and human beings in spite of our brokenness and the evil and the ugliness that we did to each other and to him, him and to ourselves. He loved us anyway, and he didn't want to leave us in this condition. So he invaded our world. He himself came into our world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus showed us a better way to live, what human being could look like. And then he absorbed all the world's evil. He took responsibility for it himself and died on the cross for it so that we can now be forgiven for it. And then he rose from the dead, breaking the power of evil and death over us so we now can start again and live new, better lives. And so Jesus offers us the possibility of human beings as finding relationship again with each other and with God and and, and the world around us. So Jesus is now forming a new community of people, a new community of human beings that we call the church. And in this new community, we begin to experience the kingdom of God. Things happening the way they were meant to happen. Goodness, love, mercy, justice, forgiveness. We begin to experience these things even in this broken world. And so we could say that the world is being restored for better. Restored for better. And Paul will drive that point home for us. He says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. See, he's reminding us that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus were real historical events recorded not only in the scripture but in secular sources as well and testified to by millions of people who have been transformed by that message and by the work of Christ. When he says to be holy, he's talking about being whole, being everything we were meant to be for good and for the glory of God. Because of Jesus, evil no longer has the last word. We can be restored for better. That's good news. But the story doesn't end there. God continues to love this broken, fractured world. Loves it so much that he's extending his rule throughout the world. And so he invites us as his people to share this good news with other people so they too can begin to experience the kingdom of God. And then he sends us out into this world to heal it, to do good and take care of it as we were meant to from the beginning. And so we can say here that we are sent together to heal. Sent together to heal. Paul talks about it again in Colossians. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. To reconcile is to make peace. It's to put back together what's been torn apart. It's to heal what's been damaged. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's what he's still doing. But he's doing it through his people, the church, as he sends us out to begin putting things right everywhere we go. We are sent together to heal. And when you think about human history, you can see that this is, in fact, happening. 
most of the positive, constructive, redemptive movements in human history have been initiated by and driven by people of faith, and most often by people of Christian faith. The first hospitals and orphanages founded by Jesus' followers in the second and third centuries. The, the idea of schooling and valuing children and caring for them. The establishment of educational institutions of higher learning, the, the most famous in our country even, founded by Christian people for Christian purposes. The advance of science, understanding the world in which we live, the, the explosion of the fine arts, music and art, all the best of it inspired and often produced by people of faith, by Christian people. Relief efforts in the world today, the protecting of the rights of women and children and the unborn, social justice, relief for the materially poor, uh, the abolition of slavery. The church has led the way on almost all of these movements. Now, to be sure, we have not always gotten it right. We are still damaged by evil and still sometimes do evil. And so we're in the process of being changed and forgiven. But we have been sent together to heal the world so that things can begin to thrive again. So there it is. That's the story. I got a little behind myself here. There's the story. Looks a lot better when someone else draws it. So, <laughs> It's a pretty good story. You can see how this story would begin to shape a person's life and values and calling. It answers all the fundamental questions of life. Who are we? Why are we here? What's gone wrong with the planet? What are we supposed to be doing? The story answers it all. Who are we? We're human beings made in the image of God for good and for his glory. What's happened to the world? Why is there so much evil and pain and suffering? Because evil has found its way into the human heart and ruined everything. Who can help us? What's our hope? Only God can help and save and change us, and he does in the person of his son, Jesus. What do we do now? We go out into the world and we work with God to make it the place he meant it to be. You can see how that would shape a life and shape a church. Now, at this point, someone could object and say, well, I'll, I'll buy circle two and I'll buy circle four. Okay, we're obviously the world is in trouble and I'd like to go out and make it a better place. But why do we need circle one and three? Why do we need God? And why do we need Jesus on the cross? Can't I just go out into the world and start making it a better place? Well, that's a logical objection, but there are two problems with that. The first problem is that the world's problems are too many and too big for us to heal in our own strength. I and mean, we've been trying to do this for a long time, right? Thousands of years. Diplomacy, politics, reform in government, science, medicine, education, technology, sports, Olympic Games, League of Nations, United Nations. We, we've tried it all. And we've made some progress. But the world is still a pretty damaged place. So we, we need some power greater than us. And that's the power that Jesus brings. It's the power of love, of radical, transforming love, the only thing that can change the human heart and human society. So that's the first problem with jumping from here to here. The second problem is that we are part of the problem. We're damaged by evil ourselves. So even our efforts to heal the planet are always corrupted by greed or pride or power or control or self-interest. 
We never quite can get it all together with still the damaged people. We can't heal the world until we are healed first. And that's what Jesus does. He heals us and then sends us out to heal the world. Now, if you know a better story than that, go out and live it. But first tell me about it because I haven't heard it yet. I've heard lots of stories that try to answer the who, what, where, when, why questions. I've never heard a story this, this coherent, logically, this consistent with the evidence of human history and experience, this compelling, this promising. It really is the greatest story ever told. Now, I should point out at this point, some of us were raised on a different version of this story. Same story, but just with some different words and images. Those of us who were, came of age in the 20th century, for instance, we were raised with a version of the story called, anybody know? Four spiritual laws, steps to peace with God, the bridge illustration. It, it went something like this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Sin, evil, separates us from God and from this life he made us to live. Jesus came to bridge the chasm between us and God by paying the penalty for our sins and opening the door to forgiveness and eternal life. Through Jesus, we can cross over into relationship with God and the life he made for us. Now, that's a good version of the story. It, it, it works wonderfully and has changed many lives, but it leaves out two very important things, especially in our 21st century. It leaves out the world. This is a very individualized story. It's all about me and God. And that's a great place to start, but there's a whole world out there. It doesn't answer questions about why the world is the way it is and what our purpose is in the world. The second thing this story leaves out is the idea of mission. This story is all about me getting to heaven when I die. That was the basic gist of it. If you die tonight, how do you know you'd go to heaven? Cross the bridge. But what about the rest of our lives? And what about the rest of the world? This story, this story <laughs> gives us a sense of mission. This is not just for my private relationship with God and me getting out of here someday when I go to heaven. It's about experiencing this life now and going out and sharing it with the world. So I really like this version of the story. I think it works well in our postmodern contemporary world. The other thing I love about this story is that it dovetails very nicely with our new mission statement as a church. We rolled this out last week. I'll just refresh your memory. We are a community of people who are discovering life with God for the good of the world. A community of people who are discovering life with God for the good of the world. It's a simple statement of who we are and uh, what we're all about as a church. Now, the discovering life with God part, that's all about circle three here, about finding forgiveness for our sins, fresh start on life, enjoying relationship with God, being part of his new community of the church. That's all wonderful, life with God. But it doesn't end there. This is not the end game. This is all happening so that the rest of the world can begin to experience this too. So we go out into the world for the good of the world to share and live this message broadly. That is the story that I trust will be shaping our lives and our ministry, not only this year, but for many, many years to come. And so the next logical question is, 
Where are you? Which circle do you find yourself in today? Maybe, maybe you're here in this circle and it's all good as far as you're concerned. You're happy with the way life is going. You're happy with yourself. The world's been good to you. If that's, your case, if that's the way you see it, then have at it. But as soon as something goes wrong in your life or in the world around, now you have a problem. Maybe you're right here. You're just plain troubled by the condition of the world that we live in. Maybe you're unhappy with yourself sometimes, with who you are, how you act, how you treat people. You long for a better world. You want to be a better person, but you're stuck here, damaged by evil and doing damage to others, whether you want to or not. That's a tough place to be. Maybe you have found your way to circle three. Somewhere along the way, you heard the story of Jesus and his life and death and resurrection, and, and you realized that was your answer. You could be forgiven, you could be free, and could start a new life. And you're experiencing that. You're, you're in a relationship with God, you've joined the church, and it's all, it's all wonderful. But the story doesn't end there. You want to find yourself all the way to circle four, where we not only enjoy these good things we've received from God, but we go out into the world now uh, to share it with others. Where do you find yourself in this story? Now, all this looks pretty good up here on a flip chart, especially when someone else draws it besides me. But what does this story look like in real life for a human being? How does this story shape a person's life? Before we're done, I wanted to make sure you got a chance to hear that. So I've invited Bob, if he'll come up and share a little bit of his personal story with us. Bob uh, attends our Wilmington campus, but he's on loan today here in Lexington uh, to share a story. Would you welcome Bob as he comes and just shares a little bit. So Bob, why don't we just kind of jump here, in here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what can I, do you have any kind of spiritual or religious background? What, well, what, what did you have growing up? I'll try to get through this. A little nervous. Uh, <laughs> hopefully I don't have a Ralph Cramden, Ralph Cramden moment like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but that's... <laughs> I, that's I, a 20th century I, joke. It's a 20th okay. century joke, by the way. <laughs> right. So, I, well, I had basically no background. Uh, the background I had was grammar school, um, teach about Ten Commandments and God really didn't relate to me at all. Went to high school, um, nothing was really talked about, so I just kept on going. And you know, I knew there was an itch somewhere with me, somewhere that God was trying to grab me. Um, so after that, it got, uh, went right into the working world right after high school. Uh, a few years after that, got married, had four beautiful children, all daughters. And um, I always felt there was some, again, the itch started getting heavier. Because being with the daughters, I feel like I could have to teach them something about God that I don't even know much about it. Right, so, well, so, so somehow you got reconnected to church again. How, how did that happen? Yeah, well, as you go down in life, I said, uh, you know, I was probably in my early 40s, and I said, oh, I'm talking to God. I got it from here. I'm driving the bus. You know what I mean? <laughs> that type of stuff was going on in my head. I didn't really kind of want him. I just put him in the back seat. Well, it's a mistake. Believe me, that's a mistake. Uh, but... Uh, about, uh, was, I was actually, um, got in, well, I have a friend of mine named George, he comes here. Thank you, George, for inviting me here years ago. Uh, he said, why don't you try Grace Chapel? And I said, nah, I don't know, you know, that type of thing. So it, th that was bugging at me. So I was actually, you know what, let me try it. So I went to uh, GC at night. And then from there, uh, Tim, the pastor there, 
I went there a couple of nights, turned out Sunday nights, and I felt that he was actually talking to me. I actually turned around and said, is he talking to me? <laughs> this, is, this is unbelievable. I mean, here's a, here's a, a pastor that wears dungarees. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, this is, this is good. But after that, I said, I, I kept on coming and coming, and it's like, you know what? I can relate to this guy. I can relate to this church. I said, well, maybe, maybe there's something deeper there. Okay, and then somehow Alpha became part of the story. Alpha came part of the story. Basically, um, you flipped that phone, me a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what I found out about Alpha is basically it's a non-invasive atmosphere. It's like going to first grade with your lunch box. You don't know what to expect. And it's like... It's like, it, it was really cool because there I found out that, that with, with this guy, Nicky Gumbel, who puts the videos on, you can actually, he kind of puts all your, some of your, most of your questions together and it's not, you know, you don't have to be intimidated by the Lord. I mean, basically, he does a cool, really, really great job. If I remember yeah. right, it wasn't so easy for you. You had a kind of rough start with Alpha. Yeah, I did, I did. Okay, so. <laughs> you're, not, you're not going to get away without okay, telling okay, us. Okay, so. yeah, I'm glad you reminded me. <laughs> kind, of, kind of glad you reminded me. Um, I was, I, you know, I said, oh, let, me, let me get a little deeper. So I said, okay. So I actually <laughs> called here. I, and the lady introduced herself. Hi, this is such and such from whatever, from, from, from Grace. And I actually hung up on her. <laughs> I hung up. I, I said, well, me, I don't want to do this. But I decided to do the right thing and actually call and say, hey, um, what's, this, what's this Alpha thing all about? And basically, I'm glad I did because it really kind of like, I found out with Alpha, the relationship with God and all the stuff that I did in my life, I said, who the hell would we give, excuse me. <laughs> I, I said, who the heck would forgive me? You know, I didn't know what all I did. But it, it finds out with Alpha, it's a relationship with, with the Lord, and that's kind of where it's the cool part. Okay. okay. And how has, aside from your language, how has this affected your life <laughs> since then, Bob? Well, I, I, I think I, I'm, 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 you know, nobody like you, but I'm just saying is that if... if if, if, if Christ, if the conversation comes up about, you know, God and stuff like that, entertain it and, and just don't avoid it with another person. Just, just uh, defend them. You know what I mean? Just defend them. There's a lot of that stuff going on around here. All right. So, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm done if you're done. Okay. Uh, and the last thing I'd like to say is basically, I, I would like to, there's only one requirement for Alpha. And that is just give them the, you just give them the willingness to give Christ a chance to tell a story. Amen. He tells it pretty good. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Lord bless you. So the final question is, what are you going to do with this story? We encounter stories all the time. We have to respond to them. I read that George Washington book as a kid. I could have just read it and said, hey, that's a nice story. Put it down and never thought about it again. No impact on my life. I could have said, well, this is an interesting story, but I wonder if there are other stories out there to read and gone off on a search for other stories. I might have said, well, this works great for George Washington, but I don't want to be him. I'd rather be dishonest, cowardly, and follow the crowd or something and just rejected the whole thing. But I chose to make that part of my life story. So what will you do with this story?
You can ignore it. You can walk out and say, hey, it's been fun. I get it. Thanks, but I'm just going to move on. You can say, you know what? That's a good story, but maybe there are some others. I want to do some research. That's legitimate. Go ahead and search for some other stories. Maybe you'll reject it and say, you know what? I don't want that life at all. If that's a decision, you can certainly make that decision. But you can also choose to live this story. It doesn't have to be just Bob's story or someone else's story. It can be your story as well. Now, if you're not quite ready to make that decision, we get that too, and that's what Alpha's all about. Alpha is a safe place to ask whatever questions you want to ask. Is the Bible really true? Who was Jesus? What about other religions? Alpha is the place to ask those questions. But it's possible you're ready today to enter this story, to invite Jesus Christ into your experience, to be forgiven, to find freedom, begin to live a new life, and go out into the world. Maybe you're ready to do that today or anytime. All it takes is a simple prayer, a simple decision, a yes to God. And it's a prayer that might go something like this. I'd like to read it for you. It's a simple prayer based on this presentation, the big story. Something like this. I praise you, Lord, for making this world and putting me in it for good. Forgive me, Lord, for the many ways I have fallen short of that goodness and damaged myself and others and the world. Thank you, Lord, for coming into the world to show me a better way to live for dying for my sins and offering me eternal life. Lead me, Lord, in becoming the person you made me to be for your glory and the good of the world. So as we close today, I'm going to, going to invite all of us to pray that prayer together. So we'll put it up on the screens here. For many, it may simply be an affirmation of a prayer that you have already prayed a long time ago and maybe many times, but we get to pray it again and affirm our faith in it. Maybe you're praying this prayer for the very first time, saying, yes, I want to begin to experience the work of God in my life. Or maybe it's your first time in a long time. You've been estranged from God and his people and his work in the world, and you want to come home to that. And if you're not ready to pray that prayer yet, then you just listen along with us. But let's pray this together aloud, and then I'll close us. Praise you, Lord, for making this world and putting me in it for good. Forgive me for the many ways I have fallen short of that good and damaged myself, others, and the world. Thank you for coming into the world to show me a better way to die for my sins, and to offer me eternal life. Lead me in becoming the person you made me to be for your glory and the good of the world. Amen. Lord, we ask that you would hear this prayer of our hearts, and in particular, those who might be praying it for the first time. Thank you, Lord, that a life can be changed right here, right today, by the power of this great story. So many of us could stand here like Bob and share our stories. We pray for those who might be entering into it just today. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer today for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you let me or your campus pastor know just by slipping a hand up where you are for a moment and uh, looking up towards me and I can be remembering you. First time or first time in a long time? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you. Just slip a hand up where you are. I'm going to be praying for you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. But how grateful we are for this great story, for the possibility of being changed by an hour or so in your presence, in the presence of your people. I pray for these who are opening their hearts to you, perhaps for the very first time or first time in a long time. May they know today that something has happened. They've been forgiven. They're free. They can live new and better lives. We pray that you would lead all of us into that new and better life, that we would live this good news, this great story, and share it with the world now and until Jesus comes again. In his name we pray, amen.